Hello and welcome to the Hard Card Podcast, recorded and filmed at Authentic Collectibles HQ in Perth, Western Australia. For our second episode, we are joined by somebody who has already achieved a kind of legendary status in Aussie motorsport despite her young age. She's an Australian rally champion and she's competed in a number of off-road disciplines on the world stage. Of course, I'm talking about the one and only Molly Taylor who joins us from Saudi Arabia ahead of the opening round of the Extreme E season. Molly, thanks for taking the time for a chat. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Uh, thanks for, for having me. Um, yeah, we're over in Saudi at the moment, so nice to be able to join you in Perth. I actually flew through Dubai uh, earlier this week and it was raining. It caused absolute chaos at the uh, at the airports. I don't think it happens over there all that often. Have your pre-season preparations been affected by the weather at all since you've been over there doing some testing and stuff? Yeah, I mean, no, no, everything's been going well. We've had a little bit of rain before we arrived, um, but it doesn't really affect the sand. It makes the sand a little bit grippier, if anything else. Um, but, you know, the weather's um, looking, I mean, it's winter over here, but it's still sort of high 20s, low 30s. So it's, um, yeah, just like being back at home in terms of the weather. It's quite nice. Tell us a bit about Extreme E. I think it kind of falls into a blind spot for Aussie motorsport fans to some extent, just with inconsistency with the coverage and so on in, in this part of the world. How does the format work? What are the cars like to drive? Give us some insight into, into the series. Yeah, Extreme E, it started in 2021, so it's still a pretty new series, um, developed um, by, by the same um, Alejandro Gag who runs Formula E um, and now the E1 Boat Series as well. So um, the concept is basically taking... 550 horsepower all-electric off-road SUVs um, and then going to remote locations uh, across the world that have been affected by climate change. And it's um, a bit like off-road rallycross, um, so it's head-to-head racing. Um, it's pretty insane, but not on specific tracks. We, we sort of make the track of wherever we are in the world. Um, and then also, yeah, with the sustainability side as well, so racing all-electric, um, they're powered, uh, recharged by... Um, hydrogen energy that's developed on site. Um, so it's yeah, really about taking motorsport and looking at how we can make motorsport um, still really exciting but also sustainable and also highlight the impact of climate change in all these regions because it's, um, I guess, one thing hearing about it all but being actually on the ground and seeing things, it, um, it does change your perspective quite a bit. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, um, I guess the idea of racing electric cars or rallying electric cars is is kind of still this new sort of thing what's it like actually driving these cars we all i always think about like massive torque delivery when it comes to electric cars and that sort of stuff have you had to change your style much what how do you get the most out of them yeah i mean they're a lot of fun to drive and as you say having all that torque instantly is a pretty cool thing um they're they're a beast they're like almost two ton um massive massive thing so they're, they're more different to drive from from that perspective driving something that big on all these different surfaces on sand, on um, gravel and mud and, and everything. So it's, it's probably more on that side rather than the actual electric. That's quite, um, I guess, easy to get used to. It, it's just uh, less sound. So I think some of your you know, perceptions and, and how you kind of use those audible cues with gear, gearing and things like that um, and revs when you're driving, you sort of have to recalibrate, I suppose, um, to not having those things. But that's all uh, like quite quick to, to get used to um, and then you know having... All the power you when you want it is always <laughs> always a nice thing um, when you're driving. But I would say it's more taking these these massive vehicles um, in all these locations that you don't get to see beforehand, or you know you do a track walk and then you're flat out straight away. So it's um you know it's more adapting to everything that's, that's um, happening on the fly rather than trying to adjust to the electric um, as such. So do 
most of the drivers competing in that series, do they come with a rallying background? Do some come with rally cross background or even circuit racing background? What's generally where are people coming from? Uh, it's a real mix. Uh, I think that's one of the cool things about Extreme E. We have, um, you know, across the three seasons, we've had um, like motorsport champions from Formula One world champions, Dakar, World Rally Cross, World Rally. You know, we've had people like Sebastian Loeb, um, Carlos Sainz owning the team, um, we've, you know, Jensen Button, Nico Rosberg, all those guys. So it's, it's kind of taking the who's who of all, all the motorsports. So the paddock's quite an insane um, place to be in ter- terms of that. So we've had, we've had drivers from all sorts of disciplines, still do. I would say it's, it's getting more and more uh, the rallycross drivers seem to be taking over. Um, there's most of the field, the larger percentage would be rallycross drivers. It, it essentially, we race the formats um, four or five cars at a time, head to head on, on a short three and a half kilometre lap. So one driver will do two laps. So each team has a one male and one female driver, um, which is another unique part of the, the whole concept of the series. So one driver will start do two laps, come in, and then you've got a driver change, which is all within the still the race time, um, and then the other driver goes out and, and does two laps. So, uh, yeah, it's very much like a rallycross style, head-to-head, um, but it's just with a few more, like, jumps and bumps and um, a bit, like, more, more to navigate than a rallycross track that's specifically designed. I've actually uh, always meant to ask you this since you won the Extreme E title. How was uh, Johan Christofferson like to work with? I actually... I actually knew him from a very weird Italian series called the uh, Superstar Series in 2012. I think he drove in that, and I was covering that uh, over in Italy. And um, so I spent a fair bit of time hanging out with him. He can uh, he can drive that bloke. He was even on a circuit car. He was so fast. Yeah, he, he's unreal. Um, he was you know great to learn from. Um, he's yeah like four or five time World Rallycross champion now. So the the um, the goat of, of World Rallycross really. So. Um, you know, to, to learn from that and, and his race craft and um, some of the lines that he would think he could take and manage to pull off. Um, that was kind of his, one of his trademarks. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> it's an incredible opportunity. And I think, I mean, even now um, uh, racing with Kevin Hansen, who's also a legend of World Rallycross and um, came second yeah. to Johan last year in a really close battle. So um, to learn from, from those guys that are the best in the world at, at their craft, uh, it's a great opportunity. And also, I think, because it's, a bit unusual in the teammate scenario. Normally, if you have two drivers in one team, yes, you want the team to do well, but you're also racing against each other. Whereas in Extreme E, it's really about getting the most out of both of you because you're both in the same race. Um, and that, I think, as a driver, especially coming into a series with drivers of this calibre and this experience, um, it's not very often you get kind of that opportunity to, um, to you know, really dive in and, and be that close um, to learning from these kind of people. And, and, you know, we can see that translate in sort of I guess, the progression over the series of the last couple of years. Does that change the way that you interact with your teammate or the way you work with them? I'm not sure what your sort of levels of data um, analysis there is, you know, on the Saturday evening or, or that sort of stuff. Does it make any difference, the fact that you are genuinely working with your teammate and not sort of seeing them as your first, the first person you've got to beat? Yeah, massively. Um, we don't get that much track time uh, in, the, in the cars. So, you know, there's a huge amount of time just you know, going over the data and, and trying to learn the bits you can from the, the short laps that you had. So being able to utilise that time effectively is a real uh, asset if you can do that well, um, because that's where you can you know, make a lot of gains when you go back out onto the track. And um, it's, yeah, to be, to be able to, to overlay your data in a way that's, as you say, not, not trying to compete against each other, but trying to push each other forward um, is, is a huge, huge asset and something that we do yeah, a lot of. 
what do you sort of like? What's the actual setup of the event? Like, is there a bivouac out there that you stay in when you're because you're obviously in sort of more remote areas? Do you go back to a hotel somewhere? How does the sort of the events actually function? Yeah, so it's a bit dependent on location. I mean, we're we're at a hotel now, hotel now about to head out to the track. Um, the, everything travels to the event on a ship, so there's no you know air freight for all the equipment and, and cars. So um, yep. we have on some events stayed on the ship as well, which is it gets quite wild. Um, uh, but yeah, really depending right. on the location, and then then as you say, there's kind of like a bivouac um, set up that that we take out to the event. So a little bit um, you know like Dakar, those sorts of things where we've got all the um, yeah. The, the mobile equipment and the charges and the, the power production and the tents and, and all the equipment and, and the cars and everything that kind of just goes um, site to site. So, yeah, it, it's, it's kind of cool. It's like you're on an expedition. Um, looks a bit like a, an army base or an yeah. you know, Antarctic base or something like that that gets, that gets set up and moved around, uh, around the world. So, yeah, you're very much, in, when we're out on the track, like we're in the middle of, of the desert. Um, so there's not, not any sort of... Um, man-made amenities around us but I think that that's quite cool and quite spectacular that you see these parts of the world and, and the scenery of the races is just insane you know by the time a lot of people watch this episode the first round might be might be finished given the fact it's happening this weekend but how do you think you're placed this year with Kevin and, and the team there you're fairly confident heading into the to the season yeah I mean we've got um, we've got all the ingredients we um, you know had a really good battle um, for the championship last year, unfortunately, it did end up go, going our way in the end. But, um, yeah, we took the, the equal amount of wins across the season. Um, and, yeah, we proved that we, we've got the, the winning pace. So, um, you know, we've, we've had a season now under our belt working together. So you're always in a stronger position the more time you have together. Um, so heading into this year, yeah, there's, um, there's every reason why it should be our championship. So that's certainly um, what we're focused on and, and what we're going to be working really hard towards. Just last one on, on Extreme E, how did you kind of get involved in this thing? Obviously, like you say, the concept of it is that every team has a female driver and a male driver. Works out pretty well for you, given the fact you're probably one of the better known and faster female rally drivers in the world. So how did it sort of come about that you ended up competing in this championship? Uh, yeah, I mean, I was following it when, um, I guess it was probably just before COVID, they were sort of announcing the, the concept of the series and starting to... to um, I guess develop the cars and all, all that sort of stuff. So I was following it um, quite closely from the beginning and, and sort of got in touch and said, you know, how do I get involved? And then really was it was more around um, when we were in lockdown, really, in, in Australia, where you know teams yeah. decided to sign on. And then um, I actually got an email from my website inquiry form from Nico Rosberg um, asking if I'd want to drive for him, and and I thought it was a, oh, wow. a prank at first. Um, but yeah, it turns out it wasn't, and um, yeah, so it was interesting because at that point, I mean, we'd run the, the Subaru factory rally team um, for four years, and then um, COVID happened, and, and yeah, basically rallying stopped, the program stopped, and you know, for a few months, it was kind of like, oh, there's you know, nothing, nothing happening, um, and it was a bit unsure what the future was was going to hold, and then and then next minute, a few months later, this um, really changed everything from from my perspective to to go from not knowing what your next drive would be and, and or if there would be a drive to um, suddenly you know, driving in an international category of this calibre and it certainly um, provided more opportunity as well to do other types of motorsport sport and like Dakar came from that, doing some rallycross rounds um, and yeah, being able to get the rally program back off the ground to an extent back in Australia too. So it's, yeah, it's funny how it, um, I guess motorsport is, is a game of momentum sometimes. 
Yeah, absolutely. I want to delve into a few areas of your life and your career so far. I mean, you grew up around motorsport. Your mum is arguably the most famous Aussie rally co-driver ever. You know, what was your childhood like, you know, growing up in that environment? How close were the Bates and Taylor families? You know, what was it like for Molly Taylor as a kid? Yeah, I mean, I guess I just thought it was kind of normal. Um, didn't know any different. Mum was travelling a lot competing with the the rally team um but yeah i mean i guess the bates family is sort of um you know very close family friends um you know harry and, and lewis sort of feel like my younger brothers harry would be my best mate um you know so we spent a lot of time together growing up so it's a nice i guess family family unit from that perspective but i never really um i mean i always followed a, the rallying and went to some rallying but i never actually got involved directly myself until I got my licence for the road. So I was kind of, yeah, exposed to it, around it, enjoyed it, but never really, I I don't know why, I never really um, started doing it myself at a young age. And then when I did start a bit later on, sort of by accident, it was more just to do a bit of driver training when I was getting my licence to drive on the road. Um, And then that, I guess, opened my eyes to to what it was like to drive a rally car and then realised why everyone was so obsessed with it in my family. (laughs) Um, And then it kind of went from there. Yeah. Did you have any other sports and hobbies and that sort of stuff as a kid while while the rest of your family was sort of involved in rallying? Yeah, I loved horses, um, so I have no idea where that came from. Um, maybe <laughs> there was a bit of like an adrenaline junkie streak in that, that as yeah. well. Um, so, yeah, like when I was growing up, I just wanted to be an Olympic horse rider. It was my dream when I was younger and then, yeah, discovered a few more horsepower and realised that might be a better, <laughs> a better path to take. Yeah. I've ridden horses a couple of times in my life and it's a lot more scary than driving yeah, a racing car, yeah, I'll tell yeah, you right absolutely. now. You never they got a mind of their own, those things, and you're a long way off yeah, the ground. Yeah, for sure. Was there ever uh, you know, when you did start to take that interest in uh in motorsport, was there any ever any interest in following in your mum's footsteps and going down the co driver path, or were you pretty much like, nah, I want to be on the side of the car where the steering wheels and the pedals are? <laughs> yeah, I mean there was never really I guess yeah, much thought either way because it was when I got involved in motorsport, it was, it was from driving a car. So that was kind of the bit that I enjoyed and thought I wanted to do more of that. So it was never really a, like a consideration, I suppose, of should I do this or that? It just kind of happened naturally from the from the driving side. Um, I never really, um, I mean, I've co-driven for fun in a couple of rallies. I co-drove for Harry in his very first rally. Um, so I've done it yep. a few times for fun. But, um, yeah, that's a whole different skill and a different, like, mental level you've got to be on to, uh, <laughs> to sit there and that's it. Yeah. Yeah. You've got some amazing uh, rallying achievements on your CV, you know, the ARC title, the Extreme E title. Is there any frustration that you haven't had a bit more longevity in any one of these sort of disciplines, if you know what I mean? I mean, obviously your Extreme E career is still going, but like, do you ever wish maybe you'd had a proper crack at special stage rallying on a longer basis on the world stage or or anything like that? Oh, yeah, 100%. Um, You know, rallying, I guess, is is my first love and um you know it's nice to be sort of getting back to it now but it's um yeah like for sure um spent uh, four years competing oh well a couple of years in the british championship then about four years doing like european and uh, junior world championship and um yeah that was always the dream to continue there um but yeah i mean it's like all motorsport and and particularly rallying it's um you know requires a lot of resource and funding and sponsorship and um, yeah that's the, the continual battle every year um on that side to try and um get that together and and yes you need to to be good and, and have results but you still you still need to bring that with you and um you know that's i guess 
nothing new to many drivers trying to bring that all together. But it, I mean, in rallying um, here, there's not really, it, it's not like there's um, a bunch of factory drive options. I was, I was super lucky to, to be involved with the Subaru factory team, um, you know, when it was running for those four years, but it's not like a, you know, if that factory program closes, you know, you go to another team, it's not, there's no teams like that. There's those opportunities just, um, you know, they, they aren't uh, readily yeah. available. So I think it's, you know, a case of, of grabbing what opportunities you can. And I suppose that's why I've done quite a few different disciplines because it's just um, trying to take the opportunities that are there to drive and, and be in a car and, and keep it going. So I think, um, yeah, it's been great to have have the factory drives and I'd love, um, love them to keep keep going, but it's also the nature of our sport sometimes. There was, you know, we know you raced in TCR Australia, obviously, but there was a flirtation with supercars as well. I can't remember the exact year, but I think maybe 2016 or 2017, but I know Holden was genuinely keen on getting you on board and building a program around you. I think you tested with BJR from memory. What kind of went on there? How close did it come? Were you keen to make that switch if, if a deal could have come together? Where did that all sit? Yeah, I mean, it was like an awesome experience to test a supercar. Really, really enjoyed it. Um, and, yeah, the, the BJR team were you know, fantastic and, and gave me such a great opportunity. Um, and so that all went, went well. And, um, yeah, we definitely uh, spoke about sort of going down that, that path. Um, at the time, you know, I still had the, the rally contract with, with Subaru um, and the kind of the discussions around getting into supercars weren't... Um, you know, it wasn't like here's a supercar deal. Here, this is the program. This is you know, mm. like the development pathway type type of thing. It was it was um, like a bit looser than that. So at the time, you know, it wasn't. I thought if if that was something that I was going to try and do, it needed. I needed to do it right, and I needed to. You know, it's not that easy to just switch disciplines. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was that easy just to come in and and, and jump into supercars. There'd be you know a lot more people um, doing it. So I you know I appreciated what the, the the scope and the difficulty of the task would be and, and so I only wanted to do it if, if I was you know sure that we were going to um, you know have everything um, laid out the right way rather than just I didn't want to come in and just do a couple of rounds um, you know and then and not be prepared for it so that, that was yeah. really important so it wasn't at that point a big enough program um, or uh, on the table to you know step away from a, a full-time rally factory program which I was absolutely loving doing and um, you know, passionate about that. So, um, yeah, a little bit of what could have been, but but at the time there wasn't really the the right opportunity. You have this massively diverse career now. There's the driving stuff. There's the TV stuff. There's the garage that you built with your partner Dan. What does the future hold for you? Like, what's what's your priority? What do you see yourself doing in the sort of medium term future? It's <laughs> a good, good question. Um, I mean, Extreme E is obviously, you know, something um, that I'm really passionate about growing and being involved in and, and then the, the rally program as well. To be, to be back rallying has always, always been the dream since, you know, since COVID and since the rally program stopped. It's always been trying to get it all back out there. Um, so that's taken a fair few years to get off the ground and, and the workshop really was part of bringing that together, having our own sort of space where we could um, try and manage our own thing and, and bring on our own partners and, and build all of that. Um, together, so that was that was largely one of the reasons behind building the Mad Garage to help facilitate that program. So I suppose um, you know, dreaming in ten years' time to have your own um, race team would be 
would be a dream of mine. But um, you know, right now to be competing at the top level in Extreme E, um, didn't quite get the program for Dakar together in the end this year. But but you know, that's still something that's definitely um, front of mind uh, on that side. So really, um, yeah, all the different off-road disciplines, um, whatever, whatever I can get um, get into. But um, but yeah, it's just motorsport, particularly in in this world, is is quite. Um, tricky to to all get all those things together, so it's kind of um, yeah always always a bit of a mission to uh, to bring all the programs together. I'm very lucky to have um, some incredible supporters this year and build on that and and build all the content with the Mag Garage and show a little bit more about um, behind the scenes and what it takes to actually put everything together, not just kind of the finished result at the end. And I think that's that's been a really interesting thing and fun thing to do because um, yeah, there's there's a whole sort of I guess world of motorsport that that you don't always see and I think that's really interesting to people so we want to show a bit of that and um, yeah being being a car as much as possible ultimately at the end of the day. I wanted to ask you about Dakar as you said you weren't there this year you've been there in the past in the side-by-side program um, is doing Dakar in a proper car is that is that on your bucket list is that where, where you'd like to go with that program if you can get back there? Yeah for sure I mean the the T1 plus category is, is just insane um, been very lucky to uh, do two years with with KM and um, I mean those things are also like such a, a smaller thing compared to the the outright um, T1 plus cars, but the the capability of those um, buggies is just like it's so impressive when you're going up these like huge dunes and um, the the amount of like punishment and rough stuff that those buggies go through is just it's super fun. So um, yeah, definitely in that category as well is definitely something that's that's on the radar, um, but yeah, like the the T1 Ultimate cars, I think, you know, it's just like in the WRC, everyone wants to drive the top WRC car, it's the same kind of thing with Dakar. Let's finish up with the Authentic Collectibles Top 10 Shootout, so 10 rapid fire questions. Uh, number one, Molly, who was your sporting idol growing up? Uh, Michelle Moton and Neil Bates. Okay. Oh, that's good. Okay. Yep, that makes sense. Uh, did you ever collect any memorabilia, posters, trading cards, that sort of stuff when you were a kid? Uh, I have a signed poster from Sebastian Loeb. That's um, ah. yeah, still one of my most prized, uh, <laughs> prized possessions. Do you collect things from your own motorsport career? I do. Um, I have a bunch of random, um, mostly things that have broken at critical moments. So I have when we almost won the second, um, our second... Australian Championship in 2017. Um, I have the the piston and conrod out of that engine that looks a bit worse for Ooh, wear. Yeah. I sit that next to my 2016 trophy. Um, that was a cough. That was a Coffs Harbour, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I was there. Um, I was there that year. I do remember that. Yep. Yeah. I've got my bumper from when we won the championship. So yeah, I like to keep some mm-hmm. um, yes yeah, some injured car parts as well next to the trophies to kind of. You know, it just balances things out. It's not, you know, there's always a story. There's a story behind the trophy and sometimes there's no trophy and there's a even bigger story behind that one. <laughs> yeah, you got to take the crunchy with the smooth, unfortunately, in motor racing. That's generally how it goes. What's your favourite of all those idols? I'm guessing not the uh, piston that came flying out of the block in Coffs Harbour, but what's your favourite collector item? Oh, that's a good question. Um, probably the bumper from 2016, having a part of that car. The only part that car was then um, later in a different rally with a, a different crew um, rolled into a ball. So there's nothing left of that 2016 uh, championship winning car. But I have the bumper. So um, <laughs> do that. yeah, cool. Yeah, right. That's a good. Yeah, that's a good answer. 
If money was no object, what would be the ultimate piece of memorabilia, not of your own, but of, you know, whatever that you'd like to have? Oh, like a Group B rally car, probably? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> That'd be a good bit um, of memorabilia. I reckon I'd like the I'd like the helmet that Carlos Sainz threw through the back window at the Rally GB when he missed out on the championship that time. That'd be... Oh, that'd be good. I actually, when I did a couple of um, WRC rounds with the new Fiesta Rally 3 a few years ago, um, we were being run by M Sport and we had a the M Sport recce car and the seating position, like there wasn't enough adjustment for me to be able to see <laughs> over the dash. So I had like a heap of um, seat foam and padding in and they had a big box of old seat padding and said, you know, go for your life and grab whatever you want. And I grabbed out a, a seat cushion and it had Sea Saints written on it. Oh, wow. <laughs> I was like... This 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 equation is uh yeah it's coming with me <laughs> in the record cup was quite cool that is very cool um I think you've or you've almost half answered this one already but what's the ultimate race car that you want to drive or rally car in your case I mean oh I think it's got to be a modern WRC car I mean the, the Group B cars and the historic stuff yes oh, okay. would be up there but then also the I like the technology performance of the current cars I just think would be absolutely mind blowing. I think being alive is a pretty big bonus as well. And <laughs> Group B was sometimes a bit sketchy on that front. So yeah. probably a good uh, good decision. Uh, name a team or driver or motorsport personality that you would love to work with. Now, this can be someone from the past or the present, whatever you want. Someone that I'm not currently working with. Yes. Uh, Sebastian Loeb. Okay. All right. There's another question coming up, which I think you're almost answering here as well. But anyway, we'll get there. Uh, in the off-season, when the scales don't matter, what's your go-to junk food? And I know you're an incredibly fit and healthy person, so this might actually be a tough one for you. <laughs> oh, no, but that's okay. easy, like chocolate. <laughs> I'm terrible at chocolate. Um, you'll like this one. In your opinion, who's the best rally driver out of Neil, Harry and Lewis Bates? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. There's like, no way I can win this nah, answer, is there? Nah, It's like picking between your children, I know, but you've got to pick one. I mean, is it like right now or just in, in their era? Just, who, just who's better? Who's the best one? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just going to say Neil because I, I, want to, uh, I don't want to cause any fights. And, and I ask <laughs> Neil for a lot. <laughs> he does a lot uh, of favours for me. So I, I, I think I'm going to say Neil. And Harry right. Lewis and great, deal with it. Greatest rally driver of all time. Oh, you mentioned well, Sebastian Loeb like ten times. Surely know, that's your answer. I know, and I'm trying to think like it's so it's going to be so generic. Yeah, Sebastian Loeb. Yeah, I mean, I think I know it's you know we've had like so many incredible ones, but I think you know his consistency yeah. is pretty unparalleled. Perfect. Well, thank you for joining us, Molly, and best of luck with the Extreme E season. We'll be back in the next couple of weeks with a new episode of the Hardcore Podcast at Authentic Collectibles. And another quick thanks to Molly Taylor for taking the time to chat with the hard card with Authentic Collectibles on the eve of the Extreme E season. Just a quick note from me, make sure you check out Authentic Collectibles uh, and the website there to see all the new cool stuff they've got in the pipeline. They make some great products. As you can see from all the stuff behind me here, uh, there's even a Gen 3 model there. So I think there's a few of those that are going to be uh, coming out pretty soon, which is very, very cool. Also, make sure that you subscribe to the Authentic Collectibles YouTube channel and hit the uh, notify button to make sure you're getting all the notifications for new episodes when they drop. we got some really cool guests in the pipeline and it's going to be a really fun year of doing these things. So make sure you subscribe and you, uh, you know when the new episodes come out, exactly when they come out. 